Now I wish to read to you the familiar words which we have already prayed, the words from the Lord's Prayer, as taught by our Savior in Matthew chapter 6. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. We have some very dear members in the Montreat Church who are going to be leaving for Korea, where they serve Jesus Christ as missionaries. They're members of the John Somerville family who will be leaving. This will be their last Sunday here in church. And so we certainly want to assure the Somervilles of our prayers and of our desire that God will bless them in their ministry. We're very great day Sunday. And actually, when I looked down and saw the title stewardship, Thomas L. Cummings, and I thought about the Reformation, it really started as a result of a stewardship campaign, if you could call it that. There was a man by the name of John Texel who was very much interested in helping the Pope to raise enough money for a building program in Rome, that of completing St. Peter's Basilica. And so in order to complete it and to pay such artists as Michelangelo and Master Raphael, the Pope, had, who was Leo X, had allowed a special indulgence to be granted. There were also some people in Germany who were interested in raising money as well. One of them was Albert of Mainz. He owed money to the Fugger banking interests, money which had to be repaid and he got a certain cut from the sale of indulgences. And so, in this time of decadence and corruption, which our Roman Catholic friends readily acknowledge now, and by the way, I, I have here a, a copy uh, given to me by a Jesuit priest of the Roman Breviary. This was printed in September 1971, and in it you will find that same great hymn of Martin Luther's which we sung a moment ago. And so our friends in the Roman Catholic Church uh, have long since recognized the need for reformation at the time in which Luther uh, brought about that great reformation under the direction of God's Spirit. Now then, back to our story about the raising of funds. Money has a way of corrupting because money is deceitful. Riches are always deceiving us. And so when Albert of Mainz sought to gain money and the Pope sought to gain money, through the sale of the love and the favor of God, John Tetzel, a Dominican uh, friar, had gone into the area near to the little town of Wittenberg. Wittenberg, by the way, was not as large as the city of Black Mountain. It was less than 2,000 inhabitants. The little college where Martin Luther taught was less in its student body than Montreat Anderson College. Uh, and yet here we see a personal reformation taking place in a man's heart and life, and as a result of that reformation, something that is going to be transformed into enormous good all over the world, and which will send shockwaves that reach down even to us this morning here in this chapel. 
Now, what happens here? Martin Luther was born on November the 10th, 1483, about 10 years before Columbus discovered America. He was born in Eselben in Germany. He was christened in St. Uh, Peter's Church there. On the bells of the church in which he was christened, which are still to be found this day, uh, there were put uh, there in 1499, for instance, St. Martin, St. Mary, St. Peter, St. Paul, save us. There is an accretion of saints from which it is hoped that sufficient merit may be transmitted in order that salvation might come. Now this was why the representative of the Pope in Rome thought that he could dispense indulgences and sell the favor of God. It was thought that in Rome there was a great treasury of merit from all of the saints and that you could buy some of that merit through the contributions that you make in the church. Unless we who call ourselves Protestant automatically assume that we are superior to our Roman Catholic friends because of a corruption that existed in the decadent church of the Middle Ages, we need to stop and think. There is a great deal of thinking very much like this that takes place in the church today. I'm sure that in a great many building programs, there are people who think that because they are making contributions to the church, that they are gaining the remission of sins through some gifts which are made, or that some special favor from God will be granted to them. Now this is precisely what we cannot think and be in keeping with the great truth which God revealed through his servant Paul, and through Martin Luther. All of this adds in beautifully to our learning the Lord's Prayer. Because when the Lord's Prayer was taught to us by our Savior, in the Gospel according to Matthew, he taught us first of all that because of the special relationship which he gave us to God, we could look into the face of God as our Father. In other words, I do not need to go through these intermediaries, Peter and Paul, or Mary, or Anna, or St. Martin of Tours, but I may look directly into the face of God and call him Father. I can do that boldly because of what Christ Jesus has done for me, even though I am a sinner, even though I was an enemy and alienated from God. He died for me. And because he died for me, I can come in the merit there at the cross and look boldly into the face of God and call him Father. I can pray to God. I can pray to God that his name may be hallowed, that is honored through me. I can pray that God may enable me to extend his kingdom now. And it should be quickly recognized that when we pray for the extension of the kingdom of God, we are asking God to work in us today, to work in us in the extending of his kingdom for his glory. And here we find a great discrepancy that exists. Often we are praying to God, God build your kingdom for me now. Well, God is not building his kingdom for us. He is building the kingdom for his own glory. That's why in the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, we naturally pray, Thy will be done. 
The same prayer that our Lord Jesus had to make in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thy will be done. This was the toughest lesson that ever I've had to learn, and it is true of any Christian, that I had to come to the place where I had to kneel and say, not my will, but thine be done. I will surrender my life to the conscious lordship of you, Lord Jesus, and I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. I will surrender my will, and I could have no peace until that time came. And then we go from praying this prayer into the needs we have day by day for daily bread, and right in hand with our need for bread is our need for the pardon of sin. Every day we need bread to eat. Every day we need the forgiveness of sin. And so we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And we are to let that forgiveness flow to others. And then last Sunday for the benefit of our, especially our students and our large group of visitors who were not here, we studied we studied the petition and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here we understand that God does not tempt us to do evil, but God has left us in the world. And because we are not made out of marble and because we are not made out of, of steel, we are going to be tempted. We can either do good or we can do evil. He has given to us the dignity of choice. And so what we are recognizing is our own human frailty. And we are praying, Lord Jesus, since you have left me in this world as your representative, don't let me become so confident in myself that I do like Peter and deny you. But let me know that I must watch and pray and be vigilant against temptation, against sin because the devil is always around us to tempt us to sin. And then we come today to what I wish to tie to the Reformation, and which I think Luther would have tied in very well, and I checked him out in his catechism yesterday morning. Uh, we come to this doxology of the Lord's Prayer, which is not a part of the original text of Scripture, but which is fitting because it was an early teaching of the church. We come to that place where he says, for thine is the kingdom, where we are praying. For thine is the kingdom. We all too often forget that. Thine is the kingdom. Not the Pope, not Martin Luther, not John Calvin, not any other human instrument or agency. For thine is the kingdom, and thine is the power, and thine is the glory. And whenever we mix up kingdoms, power, and glory with what we desire, we get into trouble. And now back to Luther. Luther had learned this, and he learned it in a hard struggle for salvation. He wanted salvation so desperately. He lived in a world that was close to pain and close to death and full of fears. It was full of chaos. And so when Luther in desperation and July the 2nd, and five, cried out to St. Anna to save him, and he would become a monk when he came near to death in a lightning storm. He was only seeking God the only way he knew how. He couldn't go directly to him. He couldn't go directly to Jesus. He couldn't even go to Mary. So he goes to the patron saint of the miners because his father was a copper miner. 
and uh, that happened to be St. Anna. He then entered uh, his Augustinian monastery, and there through a rigorous ritual, he tried to gain for himself salvation. He sought it through vigilant prayer, through fasting. He said himself that he fasted so much that if that would have achieved salvation, he would have quickly been saved. But this did not make it. And then Luther grew bitter and acrid in his soul. He got to the place where instead of loving God, he blurted out to his confessor, whose name was Stipitz, one day in confessions, he said, I don't love God, I hate God. And when Stipitz said, why do you say this dreadful thing? Luther sobbed and he wept. And he said, because God is holy and just and righteous, and he demands me to be righteous, and I cannot find righteousness. And then this very wonderful vicar general gives to Martin Luther a wonderful, wonderful avenue. He places his hands upon him and tells him that he is going to send him to a study of the scriptures. And so he puts him into a study of the scriptures. And Luther finds in scripture what he never found when he visited Rome and saw the relics of the saints. But when he goes into scripture, his first, and that's why is he a mighty fortress is our God, he studied the Psalms. And one day when he was entering his lecture room in Wittenberg, the words of the 22nd Psalm were ringing in his ears. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he remembered that this was the derelict cry of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he thought, I know why I could say that, but why did Jesus make that prayer on the cross? And then it dawned upon Luther that Jesus had been forsaken, not because of any sin that he had ever committed, but because he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Not part of our sins, but all of our sins were nailed to that cross with Jesus Christ. That's why the old Negro spiritual puts it beautifully. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Well, Luther trembled, but in that trembling, he came to salvation. Because he realized when he got into his study of Romans, and he came to Romans chapter 1, verse 17, that the just, those who are made just before God, are made just not by venerating the relics of the saint, not by works of righteousness which they have done, but they are made righteous through what Jesus Christ has done for them on the cross. By the love of God, the grace of God. By grace are ye saved through faith. The just shall live by faith. And so he wrote in his Bible, solo fide, faith alone, faith only. And Luther had made the tremendous discovery. We always get into trouble when we try to put the added ingredient to salvation. You may do this with toothpaste or you may do it with uh, gasoline, but you cannot do it with salvation. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. And when Luther came to this conclusion, 
It was a marvelous thing to him. He said that he was like a cow standing, gazing at a new gate. Here he had come to salvation. And so when the stewardship campaign got underway and Tetzel came to Wittenberg to sell indulgences, Luther challenged him to a debate. He nailed his 95 propositions for debate on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, and it was kind of like that uh, motion pictures. What if someone gave a war and no one came? Well, Luther nailed his 95 propositions down, and no one came to the debate. That's how important it looked the first day. But then after they were printed and circulated, the printing press started it. Here we see God's use of the media. Certainly the church ought to use radio, it ought to use television, it ought to use the printed page. We know so much about Luther because Luther worked so hard, he wrote over a hundred volumes. That's more than a lot of people even read in a lifetime. They don't even read a hundred books. But Luther wrote over a hundred books. And so we know a great deal about him. Now in his writing he exalted in this new discovery of grace, that God loved us and is for us. And uh, the great Karl Barth of Switzerland said that Luther was like a man who was climbing up a belfry uh, tower. And he is going up a spiral staircase. And it is dark and it is spooky and it is autumn and it is cold. And he slips on the stairs and starts to fall and he reaches out to grab a railing but instead of a rail, he grabs the bell rope and the bells begin to toll back and forth and ring out in the night. That's what happened when the bell rang. It rang out and startled everyone awake. And they began to wake up to the fact that all of this corruption that existed in the church was not the way by which God had revealed salvation. And so a reforming of the church according to the word of God takes place. Now, church is an interesting word, and Luther was always at great pains to make us understand that the church did not mean bureaucracy. That's precisely where the trouble came then and where much of the trouble comes now. That the church was not a steeple and a house and a building. Luther, in his great debate with Erasmus, Erasmus was defying Luther because Luther stood on salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone. And Erasmus said, no, you cannot say in Scripture alone. Erasmus said, you must also take into consideration what the church says. And Martin Luther said, church, 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 church. That's all you can say, Erasmus. But it's not so easy to find as all that. And then Luther said, a seven-year-old child knows where the church is, but do you know where it is? Luther said it's like a shepherd calling his lambs by name. And the church is wherever the Savior is calling people unto himself. He wanted this man to understand it. The church is wherever the word of God is preached and where the sacraments are rightly administered. And so when Luther puts this across, the great debate takes place. Then... Uh, Luther puts into the German language, in the vernacular of the people, uh, his own translation of the Bible. And then a believer can take the copies of the scripture and he can go aside and read the scriptures. 
Luther believed in the priesthood of all believers. Now today our Roman Catholic friends have come a long, long way, especially when you see Martin Luther's hymn in the Catholic breviary. And I'm sure that if what has happened by Vatican II had existed in Luther's day, there would have been no need for what Luther did. But it did not exist then. But Luther called us back to something that all of us need to know. And I want to uh, call to your attention in closing something that I, I wonder if you can guess where this comes from. Listen. Jesus began to show the rich young ruler he's talking about. Jesus began to show him that keeping the commandments, the rules, the regulations was not enough. He told him, in effect, to drop his final hang-up, which was his possessions. If you want to be perfect, go now and sell your property and give the money away to the poor, and you'll have riches in heaven, then come and follow me. When the young man heard that, he turned away crestfallen, for he was very wealthy. Jesus wished to free the young man from the slavery of his possessions so that he could be truly free for a total attachment to him alone. Jesus is trying to say to all of us that we do not find salvation through external adherence to laws and works and rules. When the people of his day asked Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus said to them, you must do this. You must believe in him who sent me. Now then, Many of us have probably snickered as we pass the country roadside sign that states so glibly, Jesus saves. We kind of smile to ourselves at the simple fundamentalist faith behind it. Yet this is the gospel message. Jesus alone will save us. He alone will bring us freedom. The freedom for which we long. That is why the gospel is so offensive. It contains so much of Jesus, the stone of offense. The stone was rejected because it was so threatening, because it was so disturbing, and because it was so troubling. Jesus promises freedom, but to have that freedom, we must die. Unless the seed die, it will not live. And unless a man lose his life, he shall not find it. Jesus asks us to die to our false notion of salvation. Do you know who said that? I want you to come up and verify it. That is said by a professor at Notre Dame University and is published by the Ave Maria Press. Now, if you don't think the Holy Spirit's not at work among the Catholics, I'd like to see some of that come out of the General Assembly. Uh, <laughs> Uh, isn't that great? You see what's happening? The Lord is working in a tremendous way. This is a salvation message. Straight. Salvation not through works, but salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And now how can I apply Martin Luther to you? Well, Martin Luther was a pest. And Martin Luther was earthy. And Martin Luther had his foibles and his failings. Martin Luther used to say about himself, he said, if you come and knock on the door, he said, the old Martin Luther, the old Martin Luther doesn't live there anymore. That a new Martin Luther, who had been born again by the grace of God, lived in that house.
and he reminded me of a country preacher out in Texas. I go all the way from Martin Luther to Lester Roloff. Lester Roloff. If Lester ever saw a seminary campus, I don't know when it was, but he said a very profound thing. He has a great sermon called Dr. Law and Dr. Grace, and it's a lesson that you can take home with you and think about and write your own devotion. Lester Roloff said that before he was converted that he used to feel miserable inside because his eyes were always beholding things that he had no business allowing his mind to indulge in, into beholding. That his feet were always going into places and his hands were always doing things and his whole life was a miserable, wretched mess. So he said, I decided I needed to go and see a doctor. He said, I heard about a famous doctor and his name was Dr. Law. So he said, I went to see Dr. Law. The Ten Commandments, you know. He said, I knocked at the door and I said to the secretary, is Dr. Law in? He said, the secretary said, he's always in. And I said, uh, uh, could Dr. Law sit with you? And he said, I, I went in and he said, I saw this stern looking old doctor. And he said, get over there. He said, I got over there. He said, lay down on that table. He said, I laid down on that table. He said, he looked at me a minute. He said, all the time I was describing the symptoms about what was wrong with my head and my eyes and my ears and my hands and my feet. And he said, Dr. Law said, no. He said, that's not it. He said, it's your heart. And when I said, Dr. Law, what's the prognosis? What do you think is going to happen to me? He said, Dr. Law said, I don't think what's going to happen to you. I know what's going to happen to you. He said, I'll write it out for you. And he said, he wrote out D-E-A-T-H, death. He said, you're going to die. And he said, is it that serious? He said, yes. So he said, well, Dr. Law, you, I don't like you. <laughs> I'm just going to find me another doctor. So Lester Rodolph said he went out of Dr. Law's office and he went down the street and he saw this beautiful suburban church and he said he went in to see Dr. Religion and he said Dr. Religion I've just been scared to death I've been down the street and I saw that old Dr. Law down there and, and he told me I was going to die and Dr. Religion said oh that old quack you didn't go see him did you and he said, yes, I, I thought he was a, a, a famous old doctor, so I went to see him, and he said, oh, they ought to call him Dr. Antique. He's so old, he's outdated, his, his methods are all wrong, don't listen to him. I'll tell you what to do. And he said, well, can you help me? And he said, yes, I can help you. He said, how? He said, join the church. And he said, get baptized. Now, Lester's a Baptist. <laughs> so he said he hadn't even got dried off good and got his dry clothes on. Before he said he got home, his, his wife and his children told him how proud they were of him joining the church. And he said about a week later, the old symptoms came back, and he went back to see Dr. Religion. And Dr. Religion said, what you need to do is get involved. He said, I want you to sing in the choir. I want you to teach a class. We've got a Boy Scout troop. I want you to lead it. You see, here's Dr. Works and Dr. Dugood. And he said, I did all these things, and then about a week later, the same old symptoms came back, and I had to go back and see that horrible old Dr. Law again. And he said, I said, Dr. Law, 
I've tried Dr. Do Good, and I've tried Dr. Works, and I've tried Dr. Religion, and all of it has failed me. He said, do you think you can help me? And Dr. Law said, I don't think I can help you. I know who can help me. He said, I want to take you across the hall to am. I'm just a diagnostician. I'm just here to tell you what's wrong with you. He said he took me across the hall and he knocked on the door. And he said, let's roll off. I want you to meet Dr. Grace. And he said, I saw this splendid, but it's already paid for. That Jesus paid it all. It's already paid for. And he said, Dr. Grace, Dr. Grace gave me a new heart. And when he gave me a new heart, I had a new mind. I had a new desire of what to do with my hands and my ears and my eyes and my whole life. Now that's what Martin Luther found. Not that those old things won't crop back up again. And not that any one of us become perfect because we don't. But what we depend upon for salvation is not things. We depend upon what Jesus has done for us at the cross. That's justification by faith. Faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. Now, if you know in your heart that you're a sinner, and who of us here could say that he or she is not? And if you want to be saved, you can be saved by depending upon what Jesus Christ has done for you at the cross. You will never be saved if you think you're winning brownie points with the Lord by doing this or doing that. You ought to do good things, but you ought to do them because the Holy Spirit is working out His works in you. That's important. Now, that's the Reformation. It reformed the church. Let this word of grace reform you. Dr. Law has an appointment with every last one of us until we come to Dr. Grace. And if you're seeing Dr. Law, or Dr. Do Good, or Dr. Works, or Dr. Religion, you better give up on that. And you better go to Dr. Grace and trust in Him alone for salvation as He has offered to you and what is called the good news, the gospel. Let us stand in prayer. Oh God, our Father, there is so much for us to be thankful for. We bless Thee for our Roman Catholic friends, so many of whom have shown to us a dedication to Jesus Christ that is inspiration to our lives and for whom we give Thee praise and thanks. We pray for our own church, whatever that church may be, that you will help us to be faithful to the shepherd who is calling his lambs to follow him, and that you will help us to rest for our salvation upon what Christ has already done for us upon the cross. Help us to know the love of Dr. Grace and to live, to live with that new heart which he gives to us and our minds set upon things above, not upon things on this earth, so that we may translate into day-by-day -day living what Jesus would have us to do 
of his will to extend his kingdom. If any person here has not yet surrendered his or her life to thee, we pray, O Holy Spirit, that thou wilt help that one today to see the truth that Jesus saves and all of its simplicity and in all of its beauty and surrender to his conscious lordship. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit our keeper and guide be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Our conference hour speaker today has been Dr. Calvin Thielman, chaplain at Montreat Anderson College and minister of the Montreat Presbyterian Church. Your prayers for this radio ministry are requested. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions regarding the message, you may address them to Montreat Church, P.O. Box 278, Montreat, North Carolina. The zip code is 28757.